Panthers, you failed miserably. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, something like what happened to me, I was, I was making these burgers once and I, I heard of how to make the award-winning hamburger. Now, here's the ingredients. You start with Texas toast. Then you take your hamburger and you make a patty about as thick as your hand. You put a pat of butter on it. Put another next to it. And as those started to cook, that butter would just saturate that hamburger. Kept it moist. Then you take a thin slice of onion. When your burger's almost done, you put the burger put the onion next to it. When you turn it and grill the other side, you put the burger on top, put your cheese on top. You take your Texas toast, you have it toasted, you put a little mayo on each side so the juices don't get really deep into your meat or into your bread, and it's an amazing sandwich. Matter of fact, mine is an award-winning sandwich. You know how I know? My wife and my kids told me so. But we had a young man named Brian Young over one day. Brian, Aaron said, Dad, make us your world famous. Everybody in our house knows about hamburgers. So I made him, and Brian ate one. He said, oh, Mr. Duvall, that's the best hamburger I ever had. Now he lives in Chicago. So my hamburgers are known in Chicago, at least one household. But Brian Ate one, he said, uh, Mr. Duvall, I said, yes, I said, can I have two? I said, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, there's plenty of burgers. I mean, I just love to cook out. Matter of fact, if you ever come by and I'm cooking out a few weeks ago, how many people did I cook for on a Saturday? 50 people. And matter of fact, I had enough left over probably for another 30 people. So if you'd all come by, we'd have plenty. I just love to cook. Well, Brian, it comes Father's Day. I hear my son on the phone after church on Father's Day. I hear yeah, that sounds right. Sure, bud. Go for it. Hangs up. I said, who was that? He said, Brian. I said, what do you want? He said he wanted to know how you made the hamburger. He said, by the way, you did say a stick of butter, didn't you? I said, no. I said a pat of butter, Oh, he said, I better call him back. He dials the phone number. Nobody answers. About an hour later, we get a call. He said, Dad, I'll let you talk to him. Hello, Brian, what happened? A stick of butter in a hamburger. That did, I said, Brian, it's a pat of butter. Sometimes in life, we just need a little this and a little of that. Matter of fact, there's an Old Testament character, uh, the prophet Elijah. I wish you could, could learn Elijah. I guess you did a Bible study on him. <clears throat> Those of you that missed the Bible study, you might need somebody to mentor you that was at the Bible study because, I mean, Elijah is only one of two people mentioned in the whole Bible and the Old Testament that just died and went straight to heaven or didn't die he just taken to heaven he didn't die only one of two people mentioned in the old testament matter of fact that stood with 
She's the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah, all this material about Elijah, but he enters the scene in an amazing, very quick way. If you were to look into the first chapter, first Kings chapter 17, first Kings chapter 17, here's what it says. Now Elijah the Tishbite came from Tishba in Gilead and said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither rain nor dew the next few years except at my word. And that's our introduction. But what happened before that? There was a king named Ahab, or he was still king, but it tells about Ahab in chapter 16. Ahab was the worst of all kings. Ahab was a king that absolutely did the wrong thing all the time. Matter of fact, it says Ahab was so evil that God, he angered God or had the anguish of God on him more than all the other kings. Now, it sounds like combined. He's the only one man, but he had all the anguish of God upon him. And so this prophet, this man came Blitzing on the scene of history and says, I stand for God, and this is what's going to happen. And then you start in verse 2, and it tells us that God told him, he said, I want you to leave this place. I want you to go to the brook, and that is where the raven will feed you. Morning and evening, bread and meat, morning and evening, bread and meat. Now, I want us to look at this passage a little bit this morning, and the first thing I want us to see is God's proclamation by Elijah. God gave him these words, and he told him, I want you to speak, and I want you to speak the truth. And I would just insert here, don't we need some men and women that would stand up for what is right? Men and women that would stand up for what is right. I, I just thank God for people that have a backbone to say, this is what is right, and I'm going to stand for what is right. That's what Elijah did. But then it says there's provision through God's nature. In verses 2 through 7, it says simply that he went to the brook because God said, I want you to go there. I ask a question, Where is the there that God is calling you to serve him? Where is the there that God is calling you to serve him? You see, this this whole idea is that the emphasis is on that word there. In verse 7 or verse uh, 8, when it simply says that you're to go there. Excuse me, verse verse 4. You're ordered to go there. Where is the there that God's calling you to? Where is the there that God has? That seems to say to us, if this is the there that God's calling you to, and you're over here or this there, then God will not feed you. God will not be there with you. Where is the there that God is calling you to? I believe that it's simple thing happens then. It simply says, and the brook dried up. 
What happens when the brook dries up in our life? You see, the brook can dry up spiritually. The brook can dry up physically. The brook can dry up emotionally. What happens in our lives when the brook dries up? A few years ago, or a few weeks ago, I pulled into headquarters, and there was a pickup truck sitting at headquarters. And as I looked back, it was kind of the back of the lot, and it was a pickup that I had never seen at headquarters before. So I assumed it might be a, a guest coming in to see one of the people there. But there was a man and woman standing next to the pickup. And as I saw this couple standing next to the pickup, I saw behind it this little cage that looked like a cage that you put chickens in, that I don't know if you've ever been to a sale someplace or you've lived on a farm or whatever, but it's, it's about, you know, 18 inches high, three feet long, maybe two and a half feet wide, and, and I walked back, but instead of chickens being in it, it had pigeons in it, and I became intrigued. So I introduced myself. I asked the gentleman what his name was, and he said his name was Spangler, and I said, good to meet you, Mr. Spangler. I see you have pigeons in your cage. And he said, yes. And I said, wow, that's neat. Tell me your story. I love, and I've told you this almost every sermon, I love to hear people's story. I, I just say, tell me your story. And so he said, well, they're homing pigeons. I said, wow. I've always been intrigued with homing pigeons. Tell me more about them. And he said, well, they belong to my son. He said, I have them out for their weekly flight. I said, okay. Where are they from? He said, we're from Lancaster. And I said, okay. And he said, well, here's what's going to happen here in a few minutes. He said, once they get settled down after the ride here, I'm going to open up the cage. I'm going to let them out, and they're going to fly home. I said, okay. I said, I've always been intrigued with homing pigeons. Well, he started telling me how they've been used in wars to carry things. They can carry an ounce and a half on their back. They can fly uh, up to 50, 60 mile an hour. I mean, they can go great distance. The longest one ever made its way home is 1,200 mile. And some of this he told me, some of it I've researched since then to make sure he's right in what he told me. And so, so we don't want any fake news here. And so, sorry about that. I had to, anyhow. I thought that was funny. <laughs> so, so anyhow, so he, I, I said, wow. So little bitty said, they're ready. I said, okay, I want to step back because I know what pigeons do. Yeah. So he let them out and they flapped their wings a few times and they now east. We're in Circleville. They're going to Lancaster, east. All of a sudden they start going west. And I said, did I mess them up? He said, no, no, just wait. Just watch. Okay. Well, then there's trees behind headquarters, kind of the south, and they start that way. And I said, maybe they're tired. They're going to take a nap. He said, no, just wait. Just wait. And finally, one pigeon hooned in or homed in, and they all started. And I said, so are you going to go back to Lancaster and wait on them? He said, they'll beat me there. I said, how's that happen? He said, they have this innate radar that God put in their brain that they are able to go home. I believe that God has put that kind of radar in every one of us 
to be able to follow him to where he calls us. I believe that when he said to Elijah, I want you to go there. He had a specific place in mind that he wanted Elijah to go to. He had a specific way he was to go. I believe that God has within every one of us that homing device that he puts within every human being. If we will listen to his voice, he will call us to eternal place, the there called heaven. I, I, I've started studying and I continue to study about pigeons and they have literally had science departments at universities such as Cornell and they study them to try to figure out how far and so I, I asked Mr. Spangler I said how far? He said well just a couple weeks ago we were in a competition we took them all the way to Alabama and he said it took him two days to get home because of the distance. But he said this to me. He said these pigeons were on their way home and they hit a horrible rainstorm. They finally hunkered down in trees. Some of the catchers or followers saw where they were. He said they waited till the next morning. He said they got up and they shook their wings a few times. They then took off and headed home. I believe in some of our lives, we have those times like Elijah. We're by the brook. We're doing what God told us to do. And the brook dries up. But God has put within us the strength and the ability to follow him and do what he's called us to do. Once the brook dries up, God said to Elijah, I want you to go to a place called Zareth. And there is a widow there, and she will feed you. It's God's protection through his power of a widow. This lady is there, and so he gets there, and he calls out to her, give me a drink of water. And then, as she started to go get the water, he called out again, Oh, by the way, bring me a morsel of bread, a little piece of bread that I can eat. Have you known any by-the-way people? My brother-in-law that passed away of cancer two or three years ago, Jim, we were very close, great guy, wonderful individual. But every so often he'd call, Hey! You want to go out to dinner? We'd say, yeah, we'll go. So we'd get the family together. We'd be eating dinner, and Jim say, by the way, I have about 500 T-shirts I need us to, to put in the press tonight. Can you help me? At 1 o'clock in the morning, I remember that, by the way. So finally, he wouldn't be long. He'd call, and he'd say, want to go to dinner? And our son would say, ask him, Basically, by the way, what do you want? Well, this was a by the way. Can you bring me a drink of water? He was kind of warming her up to the proposition. He was trying to kind of make friends. He was trying to 
tell me your story so I can tell you about, you know, by the way, could you bring me? And the woman says, I'm just about to pick up, and in the Hebrew it says, a couple sticks. So I can make a little bit of bread, the last we have for my son and I, so we can die. That's a desperate situation. I want you to notice throughout the Bible, if you, when you read it, you can just see these crazy, desperate situations that God comes on the scene and turns it into a, a wonderful victory. And he said, well, listen, if you will give me the first cake, God will make sure his promises are true, that the oil will never run out, that the flour will not run out. And so basically he's saying to her, listen, just give me a little of this, a little of that, mix them together, and see what God can do. I, I know people don't like to get out of their comfort zone, but i like for you to get out of your comfort zone. So could you just, with me, say, a little this, a little that, let God mix it together, and give it to him. My wife's got it now. She, she was at the last service, so she knows. Here's what you do. You take this hand, and you start with it closed, because that's why we start with God, don't we? We start with closed hands. It's mine. Do you have to t- teach a little, little, little one to say it's mine? Uh, let me just stop. Time out. That's not part of the sermon. It's time out. Our son calls the other night. He's, Jim said, England, coming back to New York. His wife's in Idaho, and he's talking to his little daughter. Well, they're on speakerphone. So he has a little niece called Heaven. Heavenly Heaven. So Harper, his daughter, says, Hi, Dada. And Heaven said, Hi, Dada. And Harper said, Heaven? That is not your Dada. That is my Dada. You call him Aaron. She says, okay, dad, dad. Heaven, that's my dada. You don't call him dada. And that's my mama. You don't call her mama. That's my mama. So I just put that in, now I'm back to the sermon. <laughs> don't we sometimes, mine, 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 so here's what we have to do. A little this, a little that. Let God mix it together. Give it to him. I'm telling you, it'll become a refreshing life. It'll become a changed life because here's what happens. When we have the brook dry up, we, we sometimes don't understand it. Most of you know that we have Heather, which... Jim mentioned, and she is Down syndrome, and so she needs spatial care. 
We had a plan. Our plan was that our son Aaron, whomsoever he ever married, which happened to be Shara, when Peggy and I died, because we're getting older, not old, but older, Heather would live with them. That was our plan. And then, a few months ago, they tell us, we're moving to New York. I hate New York. (laughs) Did I say it out loud or just think it? I hate New York. I don't really. Well, kind of. All of a sudden, they're gone. Our plans have been shattered. And we once again have to say, God, we give this to you. A little this, a little that. Let him mix it all together and give it to him. So, how do, we, how do we work through these things? How do we let God do what he wants to do in us? Well, first of all, we have to look at the idea. What's a human response when a brook dries up? The first thing is this. We may want to blame God. It's God's fault. God, you caused this to happen. Or we might want to say, it's my fault if I'd have done something different. Remember, when the brook dried up, Elijah was exactly where God told him to go. Think about that. Doing exactly what God called him to do. Being exactly what God wanted him to be. So sometimes the brook dries up, we blame ourselves, we blame God. We blame others. It's it's your fault. You see, the blame game is as old as Adam and Eve. Adam says, the woman. The woman said, it's the serpent. We always want to blame. And so we have to reach the human response that in all of our pain and all the mess, that some way God can be glorified. That God can be lifted up. You see, if we live by a... Better, lack of a better term, theology or a, a life that says every time something bad happens, we have to analyze it and find out why, we'll drive ourselves crazy. All we can say is, God can be glorified. We also notice is the question is, where is the there that God's calling you to serve? To minister. I, every church I go to, normally it's something like this. Well, we're going to be having Bible school if we can get enough teachers, if we can get enough workers. We're going to be doing a Bible study if we can get somebody to lead the Bible study. And the reality is we have to look and say, where is the there that God's calling you? Where's the there to which God's calling you? How do we get to the there? It seems simple, but one step at a time. You see, if there was no brook of Kareth, there would have been no Zarephath, where the widow fed him. There would have been no Mount Carmel, the height of his ministry. 
Too often, we want to step right up to Mount Carmel and not go through God's school of the brook. Not go through God's school of Zarephath. Secondly, value your quiet time. When Elijah was there by the brook, I believe there was a great thing that happened. He valued his time with God. So often we we want this spectacular rather than just value God working in our lives. Thirdly, learn to trust God totally. Can I be real transparent and honest? This one's hard for me. I just shared about our daughter Heather. It's it's hard for me. It's hard for me to know that God will take care of our daughter once both of us are gone. I want plans. I want, in my own self, I want a well-laid plan physically, financially, spiritually. I want it all there, and I want to be sure it's all in place. And God says, a little this, a little that. Let me mix it up and give it to me. That's hard for me. I understand the, now we call it rust belt, but the steel belt, work hard, put everything into it, and you'll succeed. So we get up early in the morning, we go all day, and we're self made men and women. And God says, give it to me. The last thing I want us to look at what should we do when the brook dries up. What should we do? Stay put until God says move. That's exactly what Elijah did. The lessons from his life. Stay put until God says move. Focus on the faithfulness of God. The song that was done today, beautiful song, Christ is enough for me. And I put in a question for him. Is Christ enough for me, for us? Continue to trust God for your future. Continue to trust God for your future. And last, listen for God's voice. There's a little legend that a rabbi was teaching a group of boys. And one little boy said to the rabbi, Rabbi, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. The rabbi said, you don't. The little boy said, no, I don't. The rabbi said, listen, I want you to go out and just bring me a little seed. The little boy went out and brought him a seed. The rabbi said, push it into the soil. 
He pushed it into the soil. And almost immediately, it became a small twig of a, brand, of a plant. And shortly thereafter, it was a full-grown plant. And just minutes later, it produced this beautiful, wonderful fruit. The rabbi said, Now, take a bite of that fruit. And he took a bite. He said, Oh, rabbi, it's the best fruit I've ever had. Now I believe in God. And the rabbi said, Why should that make you believe in God? God always does that very same thing, only in a slower process. And sometimes we don't like God's process. So I ask you again, where is the there that God's calling which God's calling you. What should you do when the brook dries up? What are you going to do when the brook dries up? And what is God asking you and me to give to him? A little of this, not a stick of butter, just a pat. A little of this, a little of that, let God mix it up. Give it to him. And he'll be glorified. He'll be lifted up. I know the church has gone through a sad time in the passing of individuals so quickly. And some of you have just lost loved ones over the last months. I remember families losing two, two individuals within just days of each other. During those times... We need God more than ever before. And ever before, ever before. A little this, a little that. Let God mix it up. Give it to him. Little this, little that. Let God mix it up. Give it to him. What are you going through? A little this, a little that. Let God mix it up. Give it to him. Let us stand. I wonder in our lives what it is that God is saying. Can you give it to me? Can you trust me? Can you trust me in those things that we cling to? Oh God, my prayer is in my own life I can give you a little of this, a little of that, but you mix it up, give it to you. And as it says in your word, the vessel with oil did not run out. The flower bin never was without flower. We thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.